Thanks, Charity. Well, good morning. How are you guys? You doing good? It's good to see you. A couple of you are doing good. That's good. <laughs> hey, we're going to be in uh, the book of Psalms today, chapter 17. If you would turn there in your Bibles, I would appreciate that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's plenty in the pew rack there in front of you. We'd love to have you follow along and just get into the Word, dive in there with us together. Uh, excited for today. It's going to be a great day. It's already been a great day. And uh, we're going to have a great time this morning and then this afternoon out at the lake for baptisms. I am super excited about that. I've, uh, we've got several who are getting baptized today. And uh, hey, if you still haven't and you want to, you can grab me after church. We can talk for a few minutes and, uh, and just make sure you're, you're ready to go. But uh, an awesome expression when we, when we follow Christ in obedience and, and uh, through baptism, we are proclaiming that he has forgiven us, that he has saved us, that what he's done and accomplished on the cross was for us. And we want the whole world to know that. You may have seen my weekly video and, and how I illustrated it there as a wedding ring. Um, taking this wedding ring off, I'm still married to my wife. But when I put that wedding ring on, it shows everybody else that I'm not ashamed to tell you I'm married to my wife, right? So uh, it's, it's that public profession. Baptism is a public profession of an inward decision, of a private decision between you and Jesus uh, and your faith in him. So uh, it's going to be a great time. I hope you can make it out there uh, as a church family to support and encourage those who are, are choosing to follow Christ in obedience. Again, 3 o'clock at, uh, at the Pay Beach there at, at uh, Siskiyou Lake. It's going to be a great day. First day, we got really super chilly this morning, right? It was like, oh, it's cold. Let's go to the lake today. It's great. Should have done it last week. Now it's going to be great. I remember one, uh, one year, we had two people who, who missed the lake baptisms, but wanted so badly to get baptized at the lake that we did it again at like at the end of October. So it was, that was a special day, let me tell you. That was, that was commitment, you know. All right, well, today we're looking at Psalm 17, and, and actually, if you look at Psalm 15, 16, 17, and 18, some say it's kind of like the four corners of a quilt, uh, way, uh, making this uh, beautiful tapestry uh, of similarities together. So we're going to draw on some of the things we've seen and learned already from Psalm 15 and 16 uh, as we look at 17 today, and we'll, as we look at 18, and we're going to take uh, several weeks, probably four weeks to go through uh, Psalm 18 together, and we'll kind of tie those things in together. There's a lot of common themes throughout all, th all four of those, uh, those passages. Today, though, is Psalm 17 is, is the, kind of the psalm that's, that's the first actual full intercession prayer. It's the first full prayer of the psalms. There are little, little bit, snippets of prayer where, where David is crying out to God and, and praying to God. Then he explains some things about what's going on and talks to himself a little bit and talks to others. But this one is the full-on first prayer of a psalm that we see uh, looking here at chapter 17. And it's, it's a prayer that is uh, coming during a time of great struggle in David's life, uh, opposition with people around him. Uh, and, and we see that a lot in David. If we've, if we've learned anything from David, it's that he has some struggles, amen? And, and that he really does look to God for his, his total contentment and fullness and for his salvation, for his, his rescue. Uh, but this is a time of hardship that we see. But as we see this prayer during this time of hardship, he models for us the kind of plea or prayer uh, that will come from uh, a, a, the right heart, from a genuine heart, from uh, a righteous person's heart. So for you and I, if, if you are here and you're a follower of Christ, you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, and, and you're now a Christ follower, uh, we've been made righteous by Jesus, and we should be longing to be, uh, be that righteousness and choose righteousness every day in our lives. So as we go to the God in prayer, uh, we, you know, we studied several, several months ago, I don't know, maybe a year ago, we studied the Lord's Prayer, and that was called, in some of your books, it had the title says, The Model Prayer, that Jesus models for you and I. Uh, but this prayer, I would say, is, is it also a model prayer for us. And we're going to look at several different aspects of this model prayer and see how David approaches God 
as, as someone who, who wants to be righteous and wants God to hear him, how does David set up his prayer time? And, and I would say this is almost something that could come before the Lord's Prayer. There's a lot in the Lord's Prayer, and you can go back to that sermon series or back and study that again. But this kind of sets up kind of the mood, the attitude, and I'd say the motive of the heart of a person coming before God. And I think it's really important for us to look at that because we tend to come to God at times with the wrong motives. Amen? Um, sometimes we come right, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we don't know that we're wrong, and we don't care. We just, we just come to God. And, and I think David kind of blows all of that out and says, let's, let's see what this really should look like. <clears throat> it's interesting as I, as I look at this psalm and I think about approaching God, I think about uh, what's prepared me to be a parent. You know, you know what the best training has been for me to be a parent? Being a child. Being a child. I, I know all the games. I know all the angles. I know all the sneaky ways because I've done them, right? I've been there. I've done them. I, I knew when I was a child how I could try to get my way. And I tell you what, my parents, they used to be children too. So they understood. They, they, they got wind of what I was trying before I could even get finished with it, right? Uh, my son, I, I, I love my God. God bless my son. I love my son. He loves to talk. He probably gets that from his dad. I don't know. But he loves to talk, and he loves to tell you the story. He wants to tell you the full story. So he, he comes, and you can see the wheels have been turning. And you know how parenting is. Parenting, it's interesting. You're, you're sitting in a room, or you're, you're outside, or you're around, and you, you hear the noises that you, just, you start to take on all of this information that's coming, coming from around. Right? You, know, you know something's up. You kind, of have a, you kind of have an idea of what might be going on in that bedroom or, or down that sidewalk. You know kind of what's happening. And then you open the door, they trump in, Mom, you know, Dad, and they want to tell you something, right? So you've already got pretty much a picture of what's happened. You already know the story. They don't know you know, but you know, right, because you do. And they come, and they start telling you the story. And they, they've thought through it. They want to give you the full story, the full line, in order to kind of get their way, right? They want, they want their way to be the way that's right. Usually it's tattletailing, tattle, tattletailing, what's that, whatever, telling on their brother or sister. They're trying to, trying to throw them under the bus and get them in trouble of some sort, right, or get something they want. But they're trying to kind of manipulate circumstances in order to, to be seen favorably by their parent. We're not much different, are we? As adults, adults, right? There are some kids here and children. But we are not much different when we go to God. And what David's Psalm 17, what his plea to God should teach us is that we ought to be different. That we ought to go to God with a different motive, a different, different thought in our head and our heart of how we approach him instead of as a sneaky child trying to cuddle up to our, our dad or mom and get our way. That's not what God intends for us. God wants his way in us, and God wants his way for us. Thank God, God wants his way for us instead of having us pay that penalty. Amen? So we're going to look at Psalm 17 today, and we're going to look at the plea of the righteous. What does it mean to really, the, the prayer of the righteous as you come before God, what should, how should we set ourselves up for that, okay? Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll read the entire text, and then we'll break it down. Father, we are so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you, you put up with us and you tolerate us. And God, even in our, in our moments of, of pretense or um, bad motives, ill will, God, you see through that and you see, see to the heart. And God, you desire our heart to change and to be more satisfied by you. So God, today as we come to your word, uh, it may be very convicting for, for some, some of us. I know it is for me, Lord. And I, I pray that you would, you would, by your power of your Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. 
that Lord, you would, you would show us where, we're, where we've gone off track, that you would challenge us and change us and conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus. God, we want to look, look more and more like him, not more and more like us. Challenge us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 17. We're going to read the whole passage together. Lord, hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Let my vindication come from you, for you see what is right. You have tested my heart. You have examined me at night. You have tried me and found nothing evil. I have determined that my mouth will not sin. Concerning what people do, by the words from your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps are on your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call on you, God, because you will answer me. Listen closely to me. Hear what I say. Display the wonders of your faithful love, Savior of all who seek refuge from those who rebel against your right hand. Protect me as the pupil of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who treat me violently, my deadly enemies who surround me. They are uncaring. Their mouths speak arrogantly. They advance against me. Now they surround me. They are determined to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion eager to tear, like a young lion lurking in ambush. Rise up, Lord. Confront him. Bring him down. With your sword, save me from the wicked. With your hand, Lord, save me from men, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their bellies with what you have in store, and their sons are satisfied, and they leave their surplus to their children. But I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. So we're going to look at this, this plea, this prayer, this model prayer from the righteous. And what, what should that do? And how, listen, this is going to hurt a little bit. This is going to sting a little bit as we go through this because we have to see ourselves here. We have to see ourselves and we have to let God's word challenge us and convict us and, and, and mold us into what he wants us to become. So it might sting a little bit, okay? It's okay though. We want, we want what God wants, amen? All right. So the plea of the righteous. First thing we see here is, is what is the first plea? It's see me. See me. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen to my prayer. From lips free of deceit. Let my vindication come from you, for you see what is right. The plea is, Lord, see me. See what's going on right here. Hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. What, what the psalmist is saying, what David says is, listen, God, I, I come before you totally open and totally in my integrity saying, I think I have, I have got myself confessed and I am, I am empty and you are mine and I think I'm right here. But God, I want you to see me. I want you to see that I'm, I'm willing to come before you that way. I'm open. It's not just like, hey God, what's up? Here I am. No, God, see me. See, when we come to God in prayer, we need to examine what we're asking Him. So our motives are now exposed. What are we asking Him? Will it, will it be, will what we're asking Him be something maybe unfair for somebody else? You know, we, want it, we want it fair for us, but maybe that in turn makes it unfair for somebody else. Will we ask something that's against God's law? Sometimes we do that. We want God to be comfortable with our sin and the way we live our lives. God, uh, let's overlook this part. It's okay. 
We don't really want him to see. We know he knows, but let's not talk about that. Let's not bring that up. Is it something that uh, maybe you're asking that's angry or selfish of you? That you just want it your way. You want the pleasures how they are. Maybe it's some jealousy in you. You're like, God, I just I want to be like that person. I want what they have. Why can't I have what they have? Maybe you're asking God to help you sin, to give you permission to sin. That's not what the psalmist says here. He says, before I ask a question, I want you to see me. I come to you open, and I want you to hear a just cause. And that word, that, that phrase, just cause, is righteous cause. It's like, God, this is, this is righteous. I'm coming to you with right ways and right thinking, not just a desire to please you. Remember we talked about this back in Psalm chapter 15. It said, the, uh, who, can, who can dwell in the house of the Lord? Who can live on the holy mountain? It said, one who, uh, one who lives blamelessly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges truth in his heart. And we talked about those three things uh, two weeks ago, what that meant. We talked about the one who, who lives blameless is the one who says, I, I do, I want to do whatever I can to please my Father. But now, there's not necessarily conviction with that. My conviction is, I want to be pleasing to my Father. And if my Father tells me to do something, I'll do it, even though what I'm doing isn't necessarily what I believe. I do believe I want to please my Father. Now, there are times for us that we should do that. We, we just need to go with the flow and know that God, His ways are higher than ours, and we'll obey. But it's more than just living blamelessly and desiring to please God. It goes on, and it says, to practice righteousness, or so right living. And the final part of that sandwich, remember, was that we acknowledge truth in our heart. So it wasn't enough just to say, I'm, I want to be pleasing to God. It was more than that. It was, I want to be pleasing to God, so I'm going to live righteous. And those things are going to become the conviction from the core of who I am. His ways are going to be my ways. I'm going to embrace that. So often you think about parenting and think about children and rearing them up and the legacy you leave. And, and there's been so many times where we, we, you know, parents have reared a child in, in a certain way and then they just said, oh, I just want to do this though. I did that for a while where I was under your roof, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live this way. And it's, it's kind of sad sometimes, right? Like, oh, wow, I thought, you, I thought you got this. No, they didn't get it. They pleased us. They pleased the parent, but they didn't really have a conviction that this is how I should model or live my life or, or, or interact with people. So it goes deeper than that. And the psalmist knows that. So he stands before God with pure motives, not just a desire to please, but with a desire to have those pleasures of God be his deepest conviction. He says, God, I'm coming to you with a, as clear of a conscience as I know how to. That, and I deeply desire to please you and surrender to you, Lord. So he prays, see me. See me. Test my motives. Psalm 145, 18 says this. It says, the Lord is near all who call out to him. All who call out to him with integrity. Think about that from my son. When he comes to me with this long story, <clears throat> we usually know what the answer is already before he comes talks to us because we know what the question is going to be. And then he starts, and, and it, you get five words in, and, and it's like, okay, I can answer now. I can give you your answer now. I know where this is going. But he does not like to be stopped. He wants to finish what is going on, right? So we, okay, let him finish. And then we have to walk him, walk him back into, into right living and what's right and what's the motive and what, what were you really trying to do and this is why you can't do that or this is, yeah, that's okay, this is why you can do it. There's coaching there. We want to have a conviction develop, right? But I, I'm, my wife and I have, we have patience, but we have little patience for manipulative conversation. We'll, we'll sit there and listen, right, because we love the child and, and then we'll, 
guide them back to righteousness, away from where they were, right? So that's really important for us to understand um, when, we talk about, when we talk about developing a conviction. We, we come before God, and we, he has, this verse says that he's near to those who call out to him with integrity. He's still near if you're calling out to him without integrity, but he's not really going to be listening to your side of the story. He's like, okay, when you're done, let's, let's have a real talk. Turn to John, 1 John, actually, please, in your Bibles. Keep your ribbon here, because we're going to come back here quite a bit. Uh, the book of 1 John, it's almost all the way to the end of the Bible. Uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. 1st John is a, a two-page bo- uh, book in my Bible. No, it's a, it's a four-page. 2nd John's one page, right? So it might, you might miss it if you flip too far. 1st John, chapter 3. I want us to see how we can test ourselves and see how, how our actions can line up with our thoughts and our, our words, right? Because we'll come to God with words, and maybe our actions don't line up with that. Our hearts are far from those. Out of the overflow of the heart, we act, right? So if, if our actions are li- not lining up with what we say, there's probably some conviction going on. And we, here's a way to test this. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 22. He starts out in verse 18. He says, little children. He's talking to adults, right? We're, we're little children. We are God's children. He says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and we will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see what's happening here? God God places within the Christ follower his Holy Spirit to challenge and shape and convict and and help us uh, wrap our hearts around convictions in our life. That's what he does. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is in our life. And, and as we go about our business, there are going to be times where it's like, it feels like a cattle prod. Like, nope, no, don't go there. Oh, nope, shouldn't be over there. Because the Holy Spirit's trying to guide us and direct us back into obedience and get us back in line and, and to live in the righteousness that Christ has called us to. The Holy Spirit's job is to do that. And if we aren't doing that, if we aren't living there, we're going to feel it. So how do we test? Well, it says, uh, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we can have confidence with God. So if we're asking God, please see us, and there's condemnation going on here, there's something going on, there's hardship, like I feel, I feel icky or I feel bad, I need to be in a different position, then we probably ought to open ourselves up to be seen a little more by God and to see seen a little more by ourselves so we can be changed by God. That condemnation there is, is conviction. It's how God helps us become obedient to Him. And He says in verse 22, and, and receive, so we have confidence before God and we receive Whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commands and do what's pleasing in his sight. Listen, David, the psalmist, he, he's praying to God for something. The, but the first thing, before he gets to his big request, before he gets to his big in-depth stuff, he says, Lord, but see me. Test me to make sure you and I are right. Make sure I want right things instead of wrong things. That's what he's saying. See, David was looking for the same thing as in chapter 15 and chapter 16. He was looking to not be shaken. He was looking to rejoice with his whole being. He was looking to rest securely in his position with God. But it must come first from the plea that says, God, see me. See me. You and I need to do that. When we go to God in prayer, this is the model that we would stand before God saying, God, here I am as best as I possibly can figure 
I'm coming to you with a pure heart and integrity. See me. See me. And then here's the next part of that plea. It goes number two. Search me. You see, we can stand before God thinking that we're pure, hoping that we've got it all taken care of, but that's not going to do it either, is it? The next part is, God, I think I'm, all, I think I'm good, but why don't you check? Why don't you check? We have to be willing to do that too. See, we can go, we can go to God under false pretenses thinking that we're pure and saying, God, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm pure. Here's what I got for you today, God. Can you, help, can you handle that? God's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, you say, you say I, I think I'm pure? You, you, you think you've got this. Oh, you figured that out. Okay, no, that's not right. God, God says, let's go a little deeper here. So the psalmist knows that. He says, not only see me, God, but now, now that I've shown you myself, why don't you, why don't you search me? Search me. You tell me if there's anything else in me that's not of you. Search me. Here's the difference. See, so see me says, I think I'm good, God. I think, I think I've got it. I think I've exposed everything. Search says, why don't you double check? Why don't you double check and make sure? Make, make for certain that there's nothing in there that's hidden, that's down deep, that there's no ulterior motive that's causing me to come, come to you. Search me. Double check what's going on. Yeah, verses 3 through 5, back in, in uh, Psalm 17. Your ribbon was there, right? Let's look what he says. He says, you have tested my heart. Here it is. It's not only God, I come before you, I think, clean and pure and, and I'm free of deceit. But you have tested my heart. You have examined me at night. You have tried me and found nothing evil. I've determined that my mouth will not sin. And concerning what people do, by the words from your lips, God, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps are on your path. My feet have not slipped. See, David is not only coming before, the God, before God saying, Lord, I, I, I'm coming to you with pure motives, a pure heart. So, so hear me. He's saying, I'm coming to you with pure motives, pure heart. So search me and wreck me if you need to. So we can have the proper conversation. Examine me. And th- there's this, this part here that says in verse five, uh, 3, Examine me at night. This is similar to what we saw in, in Psalm 16 last week. Psalm 16, 7, I'll read this. It says, I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. Now, last, last week we talked about that, that time at night where your mind might get away from you, right? It might start to wander and think, and Satan starts to invade and gives you wrong ideas about yourself or, or about sin or about righteousness, and you're, you're struggling in that time. It's like, no, let's, let's go to the counsel of the Lord, not, not the counsel of the enemy. And there are those times where we need to shut our mind off and just have faith in God and trust God. But there's an opposite to these, the bad thoughts. The opposite is let's renew our mind with God's thoughts. And that's where we find ourselves in, in chapter 17. God, you have tested my heart. You have examined me at night. It's an amazing promise that God, God's examining us at night. When, when we have those sleepless, restless nights, God is there to examine. God is there to renew. God is there to help us take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ and His Word. He's ready for that. That's part of his examination, though. And, if, and at times when we're laying there troubled at night, there, there could be a trouble from the enemy. There could certainly be trouble from God, too, saying, hey, listen, you got something going on here that's not of me. We need to take care of that. And that's the whole part of God. Search me. Examine me. David says, I, I've determined that my mouth will not sin. It, it doesn't mean his mouth doesn't sin. His deepest commitment is, God, I, I want you to search me, wreck me. I do not want my mouth to sin. I do not want to speak evil out of my mouth. Examine my heart. Examine my mind. 
Psalm 63, 6 through 7, it says this. When I, when I think of you as I lie in my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. See, there's a comfort. There's a comfort, a real comfort that comes from being protected in the, in the shadow of the wings of the helper. And, and we're there and, and laying in bed or our minds are wandering and, and things are slipping, slipping out of our grasp. We need to, to let God renew them. And we, we, as we lie there, we think and meditate on, on Him and His ways during those night watches. See, God's going to do a renewal in us, but it, it takes us allowing Him and saying, God, search me. And as we do, there's comfort in how He renews us. So not only God see me, God search me. And then what do we go to? The next one, number three is this. His next plea is show me. Show me. And I think it fits really well. You know, and it kind of, the search me is there too. As you examine my thoughts, God, I want you to reveal what's wrong in me. I want you to reveal what's going on in my heart so that I can, I can repent of that. I can go move towards you. But then the, he, he wants to be see, seeing something else. He wants God to show him something a little, little different here. Let's look at verses six through nine here. It says, I call on you, God, because you will answer me. Listen closely to me. Hear what I say. So here's his plea in the verse 7. Display the wonders of your faithful love. This is what David wants. Here, this is what he wants God to show him. God, display the wonders of your faithful love. Faithful love, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? What is that? Hesed. It's hesed. It's God's hesed love. We, we spent weeks on this, right? God's faithful love. It's that faithful, enduring, covenantial, everlasting love that he has for you and I. That's God's love. So what is David's plea? It's see me and search me and then show me, God. Over all of that sin, over all that garbage that might still be in there and remain in there, show me your faithful love to overcome that. Show me that your faithful love is the what, what pulls me out of that darkness and into light display the wonders of your faithful love. And here's what he, he, he kind of gives some description to that. Savior of all who seek refuge from those who rebel against your right hand. Protect me as the pupil of your eye, that soft spot that I want to protect above everything else. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who treat me violently, my deadly enemies who surround me. So from, from my enemies, I want refuge. I want safety. And, and here's, here's what that word display means. Display, we, know, we understand hesed. Right? The faithful love is that covenantial, enduring love of God that He's going to pursue you no matter what. And He's going to pursue you from forever to forever. That's, this love is continual in that. But what He says here, He says that display those things. And, and that word display, it's, it's used several times in other verses. We'll look at it in a minute. But what it really means is to, to separate and, and to, to make separate. Like, God, above my enemies, above all that's going on around me, show me how you're different and show me how you've made me different. Display your faithful love. And, and basically saying, here's my enemies. They're all around me. The pressures are mounting. It feels like I'm going to melt in the fire right now because it's so hot. But God, in the middle of all that, pull me out of it. Separate me from it. Pull me out of the kingdom of darkness and pull me into the kingdom of light. Let me see your faithful love that will endure forever. This is what David's saying. And, and David, oftentimes, we see this. David sees these the threats, the enemy around him, actual physical people uh, that, are, that are against him, and he actually prays to God or asks God or tells God, kill them, smite them. We saw, uh, heard the song a minute ago, right? 
bring them my head, you know, or their head. Like, we, there's this, this deep stuff. But above all of that, I, that, that's true. He wants deliverance. He wants to be rescued from that. But David knows there's a bigger rescue to be had that comes from his faithful, enduring love of the Father. And that faithful, enduring love says, I'm going to separate you. I'm different, and you're going to be different. And, and what they have isn't going to be what you have. You're going to have something more amazing, something more steadfast, something that, that where your feet cannot be moved. That's another common theme, right? Not be shaken, right? That, that you won't be shaken. You won't slip. Show me these wonders. Display the wonders is intended to show a distinction between light and dark, the world and the kingdom of God. Psalm 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. See, the Lord sets apart the faithful, the righteous, those who are his followers, his sons and daughters. Turn to Psalm 139 with me. Very beautiful passage of Scripture, very thought-provoking. I want to show you this word used again. Psalm 139, verse 14. So we're talking about this idea of display and then you know this separate me from or 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 sanctify or set apart. Psalm 139:14 says this, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. There's the word, wonderfully. Set apart. That God before the foundation of the world before you were even born was calling you out, was was setting you apart. While you were being put together, he was pulling you apart from the world. It was pretty amazing how God does that. I'll praise you because I'm fearfully or or remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. God is up to pulling us apart, to setting us apart, to to separating us from the rest of the world. So when we talk about show me or display the wonders of your faithful love, what we're saying is this, remind me, God. Remind me that I'm I'm created in your image. Remind me that, that you set me apart. Remind me of the comfort that I've found in your faithful and enduring love. Remind me, God. Show me. Show me how faithful you are. And God is faithful. And God is pulling David and setting David apart despite his circumstances. He's making a distinction between David and his enemies here. God, remind me or show me. The fourth plea we see here of the righteous is save me. Save me. So we're back to chapter 17, looking at verses 10 through the first part of 14. Talking about the enemies that surround him. They are uncaring. Their mouths speak arrogantly. They advance against me. Now they surround me. They're determined to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion eager to tear, like a young lion lurking in ambush. Sounds pretty big, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot of pressure. A lot of persecution. A lot of resistance against David. David's crying out to God, saying, God, save me. 13 says, rise up, Lord. Confront him. Bring uh, bring him down with your sword. Save me from the wicked. With your hand, Lord, save me from men. Now stop there for a minute. So I think there's a little bit of an attitude change here in David right after that, from men. I think he starts to see what, what real rescue really means. Because here, real rescue doesn't always mean God's going to take a sword to your enemy. Amen? Your enemy may continue to persist. But God, in His rescuing power, in His show-me power, in His display of His covenantial hesed love to us, His faithful love to us, 
can separate us and make the distinction between his and not. So here's what he says. He says, with your sword, save me from the wicked. With your hand, Lord, save me from men. And then here's the attitude change. From, from men of the world whose portion is this life. See, here's what he's realizing. Here's what he knows. Is that the world, that the, the world that doesn't know Jesus, the world that doesn't love the Lord, who doesn't want to obey and be righteous, the world wants what they want. And he says, for these Men of the world whose portion, whose reward, whose fulfillment is in what? This life. Look what he says next. You fill, you, he's saying God, God, you, about my enemies, you fill. You fill their bellies with what you have in store. Their sons are satisfied and they have and they leave their surplus to their children. Pretty amazing. God's giving them exactly what they want. The world wants their own satisfaction in their own stuff, in their own pleasures, in their own food, in their own money, in their own whatever. So guess what they get? Exactly what they want. Now, they will never be filled and satisfied with that. But what, what David is understanding is, is something deeper than, than just I want them dead and me to be rescued. What he understands is that God is the portion that he needs. God is who he really needs here. So I want us to look and understand something too. When we talk about suffering or going to God in times of rescue, it becomes very easy for us in times of very severe hardship to run to God in prayer, isn't it? Like, oh man, I'm going to be crushed unless I do something. But it's, it's, it's also very easy to trust God when the sun's shining. Okay, like, hey, everything's great. Yeah, I, I trust God. It's all, it's all great. Why can't I trust God? Why shouldn't I trust Him? He's amazing. But David is showing us a strength of faith that is, is measured more clearly when things get heated up. But David doesn't succumb to the pressure. He trusts God. And he, and he says, God, you know what? I, I trust you so much with me and, I, and, and that you are my portion, that, you know what, they can have theirs. They can have their portion. They can have what they're seeking after. Let, let them have that. I want you. That's what David's saying. They can have theirs. Even if it means me dying, I want you. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 22, a couple pages over. I want us to make this connection a little more about suffering and how it connects to salvation. Now, it doesn't just connect to salvation because I'm suffering, save me. It connects differently to that. There's suffering that had to take place for our salvation. Amen? Psalm 22 is, is the psalm of the cross. And I would actually encourage you when you go home today or uh, and with your family, read the, read the whole psalm. I'm going to read an excerpt out of it from chapter 12 through chapter, or through, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 12 through verse 18. I want you to see the picture of this. And it's very similar to what David's facing, but it's, it's someone else facing it. Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. Sound familiar? I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. 
You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. They cast cast lots for my clothing. That sound familiar? That's the crucifixion, right? The events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy about Christ and his crucifixion. Thousand years beforehand, we're seeing a prophecy about this happening. Isaiah, you you see the book of Isaiah prophesies about this also in chapter 53. Hundreds of years before the crucifixion, we see a prophecy about what Christ, the suffering, suffering servant, would go through. Here's the deal. We see this appetite within those who surround David. An appetite to get rid of the righteous, to be done with those who would stand opposed to what they want. And that did not stop with David. It, didn't, it, it doesn't stop with us and what's going on around us. It was present with Jesus. In fact, it's why Jesus died. Mobs, angry mobs, gnashing their teeth, couldn't stand the righteousness that was before them. Decided he must pay the penalty. Now, we know that although they endeavored to kill him, he was the one who laid down his life for us. He willingly went to the cross. They couldn't do anything to him that, they, that he did not allow. But this righteous one had to suffer. But the righteous one wins. One more passage I want you to turn to, well, right now at least, Hebrews chapter 2. I want to see some more correlation here. Actually, the writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, quotes verse 22 of Psalm 22 in this next passage. So we're seeing this correlation between Jesus connected again in the New Testament and seeing how the suffering servant is Jesus, but, but we're seeing how, the, how suffering and salvation connect more closely together than just God save me from this uncomfortable situation. God, I need, I need a bigger salvation here. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 10 is where we're going to read. <clears throat> and here's what David understood. David knew that he, he was a child of God, that he was a son, that he was an, an heir with Christ. And, and here's, here's what the author of Hebrews says, beginning in verse 10. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's you and I, that's David, and, and, and bringing people, pulling people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun and the kingdom of the light. He adopted us as children of God, that we are now sons and daughters of God. Amen? We've been adopted in the families. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom uh, and through whom all things exist, so for whom and through whom all things exist for Him, should make the source of, their salva- of our salvation, right, of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. Okay, making the source of our salvation perfect through suffering. Who is the source? Jesus is the source. And the the offering that he made was perfect for us as he suffered and he bled and he died on that cross. And it was totally fulfilled and realized when he rose from the dead, conquering death, saying, death does no hold on me. See, the suffering servant who suffered linked the suffering as our source, as our source of salvation, because he suffered. So when we say, save me, we're saying, God, save me. The only way you could save me. There's no other easy way out of this. 
Jesus had to suffer and to die. So we should make the source of our salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those, and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So he, he does it so that we can be a family, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. That there's a rejoicing and a celebration that's to be had because we are sons and daughters of the Most High. Amen? And it doesn't matter if we're in a free country like America with very little persecution or we're in China, in the underground church, being hunted for what we're doing. There is joy to be had by being children of the Most High God because He bled and suffered for us. God, save me. Save me. The final plea we see here, number five. God, satisfy me. Satisfy me. Going back to chapter 17 of, of Psalms. Looking at the end of 14. I'll, I'll read it a little more context. Probably start at 13 again. Rise up, Lord. Confront him. Bring him down with your sword. Uh, save me from the wicked with your hand. Save me from men. From men of the world whose portion is this life. He's making this connection. His portion is life. You, God, fill their bellies with what they have in, uh, have in store, or what you have in store, and their sons are satisfied, and they leave their surplus to their children. They are fat and happy, but will never see the kingdom of God. They get exactly what they want. So for David, to have everything, he wanted to, God, wipe him out, but he moved his mind, right? He, he switched gears. He said he understood that to have everything in the world but God was judgment enough. That is deep, deep judgment, right? To have everything in the world but, but God is judgment enough. That they are men of the world, so God gives them exactly what they want. He gives them the world. But look at the next part here in, in verse 15. Here's the, here's the decision time. Here's the time for you and I in this model prayer to come before God. We should have said, God, see me, what, search me, show me, save me. And now we're saying, God, satisfy me. So there's a decision that you and I have to make. It says in verse 15, but I. You, you know how much I like those, those transitions, right? Where I would say, but God, when it's, it's so bad, so bad, so bad, but God showed up. I love this too. All of this knowledge we have, all of this, this knowledge of our Savior and the redemptive purposes that he, that he has set forth for us comes to that place where, where there's still hardship, but it says, but I... They're fat and happy, but I, I will see your face in righteousness when I awake. I will be satisfied with your presence. That's where David ends. He says, you know what, no matter what happens, I don't want the same reward they're going to have. I don't want the whole world if it means forfeiting my soul. God, I want you and I will wake up and I will be and stay satisfied in you. But that's a decision we have to make. Our plea, God, satisfy me. I just don't want to go through the motions, God. I want you to really satisfy me. I want the joy that's in the Lord to really, really fulfill, to really bring me rest and security, to really make it so I'm unshaken. God, satisfy me. It's a decision, though. Joshua 24, 15, 14 and 15 says this, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship Him, in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers that they worship beyond the Euphrates River uh, and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't, so it's, it's like, you got to do this, but, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, 
Choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites or uh, in whose land you are now living? He's putting a question out there. Worship some, somebody. Go Make your choice. But we have to understand that we have to make that choice. It says, as for me. Just like David. But I, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. We will worship the Lord. Why? Because only He satisfies. One last text. I know I already said that. I'm sorry. This is the last one, really. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want us to see the difference here between the world and, and those who belong to Jesus, whose citizenship is in heaven. I want, I want us to see where our satisfaction really lies and how to grow in that. Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 18 and going through verse 20. For I've often told you, and now I say again with tears. This is Paul writing. He's saying, I told you this. This is my epistle of joy to you. I'm in a Roman prison, but I'm writing to you, and I've often told you this, and I'm writing to you in tears. Tears are running down my faith, face because of the, the depth of this, because of the importance of this. I've often told you, and now I say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This is no walk in the park. Verse 19 says, Their end is destruction. And their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, may we be supremely satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter how long we wait eagerly for Him, that we be satisfied in Him because of what He's done and is doing and will ultimately accomplish for us. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Lord, when we come to your word, it is not usually an easy task. And Father, as we've looked at your word today and we've, we've seen ourselves, I'm sure, in many different ways, God, I, I pray that you would help us with the motives of our heart as we approach you and, and make our plea or make our prayer to you. That God, you would, you would help us to, to open ourselves up, that you would help us say, see me, Lord. See the integrity I come to you with, the character I come to you with. And then not only see me, but God, God, I want you to search me. I want you to wreck me and ruin me and stretch me and, and show me all of those rough edges that still need to be knocked down and sanded down. God, and then show us your unfailing, faithful love that separates us and draws us out and sets us apart from the rest of the world. And God, we ask that you would save us. That you would rescue us, God, not, not just from physical suffering, but through suffering that the good suffering servant endured. We would have a salvation that comes from Christ. And in that salvation, God, that you would satisfy us. That we would not rest in 
settle for some lesser satisfaction. But our hearts would only be satisfied in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close, it's our opportunity to worship and uh, to celebrate Jesus and to, to, to respond from the heart in our satisfaction in the Lord.